Hey, listeners, there's a new podcast in town. It's called Boozy Blatherings. I know you're going to love it. It's a drunken vocabulary lesson. Learning while drinking, what could be better than that? It's hosted by the very entertaining Megan Mitlow. Look for it and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to If This Bar Could Talk, a podcast about bartenders and the stories they have to tell, as well as the storied history of cocktails, spirits, and bars. I'm Blair Beavers, and here's your host, Leanne Sims. Our guest tonight is Barbara Reynolds, owner of The Bottle Shop. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Thank you. Thank Yay. you for doing this. It's been so long that we've been I feel been like we've been to trying to get show. you on forever, but you're so busy and we get yeah. that. So we're so grateful for well, you. Well, that's one for... silver lining of the pandemic is uh, <laughs> a little more free time. <laughs> one way so, to look at it. <laughs> how do you describe The Bottle Shop? Well, I describe the bottle shop as a carryout beer and wine market focused on natural wines and craft beer, um, Ohio beer specifically, uh, and then a craft cocktail bar with 20 beers on draft, a patio, and a food truck. So, so you have it all. That's a mouthful, but really we just wanted to be a neighborhood spot, a sort of third place for people that live in the southern part of the university district, um, where no matter what your tastes are, you can find something you like and a comfortable environment. And you own it with your husband. That's correct. When did you start? Um, we opened it in uh, late October of 2015, October 29th to be specific. So we always kind of think of Halloween as our anniversary. God, it doesn't seem like it's been that long, no. is it? So yeah, we, we just That's rounded awesome. the bend on five years Yeah. Um, at the end of last October. So cool. it, it is kind of hard to believe. <laughs> so your spot pre-COVID was always packed and it was uh college kids older people like us like there was just the demographic what there's no specific demographic it just is that is that true is that my observation correct absolutely and i mean that was really something we were going for we wanted it to be a comfortable kind of environment for anybody and you know one thing i can say with regards to the student population you know where we are on king avenue we don't get so many undergrads um you know which we kind of appreciate mm -hmm. whether that's a consequence of our location our price point or just our atmosphere i don't know but we get mostly grad students and faculty med students dental students etc um, and then just a blend of kind of everybody else and people who like cocktails and people yeah people who like cocktails and good beer people who like good draft beer and people who like wine yeah. so well blair had coined a phrase when we were in um new orleans yeah a dive lounge yeah i like that it always felt like you know it kind of like a dive bar a neighborhood bar because it's so homey and cozy and inviting but it also has like a high-end lounge vibe to it and you always had like just you know fun silent movies running in the background and a, a great playlist going and a game so, area yeah a game area yeah just, well i guess you know relating to that one of my biggest issues uh, with cocktail bars in general is, you know, when you walk into a place and it feels stuffy or cold or exclusive, you know, even if there's luxury, I still don't really want to walk into a place where I feel like I have to prove myself to the bartender before I'm going to get service. Right. So, you know, we use mismatched furniture that mostly comes from flea markets and we have a little something on the walls that everybody can see and relate to. And, you know, mentioning all the different music we play, all the different short films we play on our projector screen, 
everyone can find something they're interested in and something they can relate to and feel comfortable. I just, I don't want to ever have the kind of cocktail bar where someone walks in and feels like it's stiff or feels like because they don't know about every single liqueur that we use that they're not welcome there. So, mm. you know, everything about the way we designed the place was to make people feel at home and relaxed and, you know, sort of just have an unpretentious vibe for, for people, regardless of their level of knowledge on yeah, beer, and wine, that, and that's spirits. That's the right word for it. It's completely unpretentious. It's just comfortable but you could be pretentious because you you have an amazing knowledge of wines which we'll talk more about that later um you obviously know a lot about beer um and you are the craftiest craft cocktail person like you make your own cordials um i will never forget you took me back to my childhood uh, with that grasshopper, <laughs> and you made your own cream de menthe. I've yes. never known anyone that has made their own cream de menthe. And I I think you're the type of person that if you can make it, you're going to make it. Is that right? I would say for the most part, I mean, with certain exceptions, I've never dipped into making bitters. Um, and I have made orgeat, but I prefer to use Jaffard orgeat. So basically, if, if I feel like I can get a better product that's commercially made than what I'm going to make and it's less expensive, then that's what I'm going to do. If I feel like I can make something better by making it myself or make it more affordable by making it myself, I'll do that. But I mean, I can tip my hat to the professionals who make some of these products and say that I could spend a lot of time and money making Orgeat, but you know, mm -hmm. Jaffard's probably going to do it better. And, and, so. let's, and let's note here that the creme de menthe that you made for that grasshopper was phenomenal. It was so yeah. much better than anything that yeah. you could ever buy it in was really delicious i that's one of my favorite recipes that i've come up with because the grasshopper is such a it has such a bad rap from you know how it was made in the 70s <laughs> well, and because of those <laughs> products that you had to buy <laughs> i wanted to make it an actual cocktail and not just something that tasted like a melted milkshake and uh, middle west spirits vim and petal gin had just been released at that time and just the flavor profile of that gin for some reason spoke to me to go with the mint and the chocolate and you know speaking of that creme de menthe i make you know, we just use Everclear as the base. You can use vodka, you can mm -hmm. use Everclear or some combination of the two, but we really just wanted to booze it up and make that cocktail have a little more structure. So it's definitely a hot creme de menthe, but it was specifically designed to go in that drink and just, you know, take it from milkshake to, you know, proper balanced cocktail. Yeah. You know, plus the addition of the gin, which wouldn't usually be in there. Well, when I <clears> had it as a kid, it, it literally was a scoop of vanilla ice cream with uh, cream de menthe poured over it. So, yeah. Yeah, it was. And, and really, uh, that's just green syrup. But I loved it <laughs> as a kid. I loved sure. it. Um, but I appreciate the uh, the adult version that you do. It's really amazing. How did you learn all this stuff? Like, how did you learn your wine? How did you get all your wine knowledge, your knowledge of cocktails? Where did that happen that happened waiting tables oh i started waiting tables in 2008 when i was on a working holiday visa in australia um and in 2010, went back to Miami, which is where I went to college, um, and worked in the restaurant industry for about 10 years before my husband and I moved up here to start our own business. And you know, I was just fortunate to work in really high-level places where even though I was only a server or a restaurant manager, I would get trained on every single ingredient. You know, all the wines we worked with, all the spirits we worked with, and you know, I've always been a bit of a nerd and a bit of a student. So I mean, with YouTube and the internet, just doing deep dives on things and 
you know, getting a job in a high-end restaurant and realizing, okay, I don't know as much about bourbon as I should, so I'm going to go watch 50 videos on it, Mm -hmm. and then I'll at least have some things I can say about it. And just, you know, over the course of 10 years, you, you learn you learn quite a bit. So, and then opening our own place and starting to come up with our own cocktail recipes, it's just practice, really. So you're, you've lived around the world. Your husband is from Spain? My husband's from Colombia. Oh, okay. Um, which we met while we were living in Miami. Um, I'm from Ohio originally. I went to University of Miami in Florida. Uh, when I graduated, I was planning on taking a three-month backpacking trip through Europe, which turned into three years abroad without coming back at all. Um, I started off uh, working in a youth hostel in Cadiz, Spain for a couple years. And then I got working holidays in Australia and New Zealand after that and started working in cafes and and coffee shops. So what made you want to do that? Um, It was really just functional. Um, I majored in creative writing and Spanish and had a minor in studio arts. So needless to say, graduating in December of 2006. No one was knocking on my door to give me a job. Everyone was asking, oh, are you going to get your master's and be a teacher? What else are you going to do with those degrees? And that wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, And as I was traveling, it's just, you know, you're either going to get a job in retail or hospitality, basically. I sort of fell into the youth hostel job because I was staying at the youth hostel and made friends with the owner and the people that work there and asked for a job and got a job. But, you know, as I was in Australia going, I have this working holiday, what am I going to do to support my travels? It was either retail or try to get a job in a cafe. And I always found food and beverage more interesting than than straight retail. So I kind of bluffed my way into a job by making a resume and putting references all with United States phone numbers. <laughs> uh, I was in Byron Bay, Australia, and it was uh, Christmas Eve, and they were short-staffed, thankfully. And they said, well, we're just going to throw you in. And if you can do it, you can have a job. But if, if we don't feel like you're good enough, we're going to, you know, boot you. And it was the kind of restaurant, they didn't even have a POS system. I had to write my numbers down on dupe tickets and hand one into the kitchen and say order in and stuff like that. But, you know, I figured it out that first day and worked Christmas weekend, which is a huge holiday in Australia because it's the middle of the summertime. So it's one of their busiest times of year. I just got thrown into the fire and managed to do it (laughs) and sort of bluff my way in. And when I moved to New Zealand, at least I had some references from Australia that I could give. So they thought I was legit. And then coming back to Miami, they saw, oh, you've worked in all these places. We're not going to call up your references, but okay, we'll give you a shot just because it sounds interesting. So that's awesome. So that was kind of the way it went down. So what, what brought you back to Ohio? So um, I was working in restaurants in Miami, as I said. My husband was running a bed and breakfast, um, and we knew we wanted to start our own business. We initially thought we wanted to do a bed and breakfast with a little beer and wine bar slash shop attached to it, uh, but kind of realized we didn't have the funds for that as we started Mm -hmm. researching. So we switched our concept to the sort of bar slash market concept. Um, We actually looked all over the country for different places where we would want to open. We thought we wanted to stay someplace that was a little warmer, (laughs) but just didn't find a good location. And no one would blame you for that. We we found the listing for our business online on this random website. And we had gotten kind of fatigued of our search and decided to come to Ohio just to visit my family and kind of take a little break. And we said, oh, well, while we're here, let's go check out that place on King Avenue and we saw it and it was really run down when we took it over. I mean, it looks nothing like it does now, uh, but we saw the potential and it was something we could afford. And 
you know, the business hunt is stressful. So for me, being back here where my family was while we were getting the business started, was just having that emotional support was really helpful. So we just decided to go for it and and took the dive. So yeah, we actually went under contract for our business before we even moved here technically. Oh, wow. So, yeah. It's basically a bodega, right? Yeah. And with a bar. We wanted to call it bodega. Um, we but were planning on calling taken. it bodega. The and then we got taken. to Columbus and realized there was a bodega <laughs> a few blocks away. And we're like, what are the odds that in Columbus, Ohio, the name bodega is already taken? But you and know, hats off to them. They took it. So. And that one isn't a bodega. It's Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So the bottle shop was our second choice because I used to live in Australia and in Australia, everybody, the bottle shop, the bottle shop, the bottle shop, they're everywhere. Mm. Like the, any liquor store you go to is the bottle shop and they never Mm. name them. It's just the bottle shop, the bottle shop. So uh, every neighborhood has one. And that, like I said, that was our concept, just being a real neighborhood bar. So we kind of fell back on that idea once we realized Bodega was taken. (laughs) I wish there was a place like yours in every neighborhood, just like in New York City, you know, the bodegas are an important part of the neighborhood. Um, They don't all have bars in them, but um, I I think your place is great and it would be really good to have one like right down the street. (laughs) I mean, you're close, but... You know, if we had one on every corner, that would be really great. So you open the bottle shop, and then a little later, you purchase a farm. Yes, yes. So actually, uh, in the spring of 2019, we, my husband and I purchased a five-acre property out in Canal Winchester so that we could raise some animals, because that's been an interest of ours for a while. We had uh, some chickens at our previous house in Columbus, because you're actually allowed to do that in unincorporated mm-hmm. Columbus. So out at our house by the airport and we had a a baker's dozen of chickens in our backyard and got a little practice and realized we like it. So now we have uh, goats, chickens, uh, some geese, some ducks, and a donkey Mm. (laughs) out in Canal Winchester. And we're starting to sell farm products through the bottle shop as well, so. Yeah, so COVID hits and I think you guys really uh, were the best at the pivot because you, started your wine club which is amazing thanks um so tell us about your wine club so we basically with the pivot for covid thankfully our space was already divided in half so half of it was already set up to be a carryout market so in terms of switching over to that kind of business plan we were already good to go you know logistically the challenge was building a website which i had no experience with but you know these days use Wix, you can figure it out. So mm-hmm. we started getting our products up on the website. And the first thing we did was put curated wine and beer packs up. Um, so, you know, explore France six pack or mm-hmm. sparkling wine six pack. Uh, and then we started our wine club, which you mentioned, um, where we have several different packages where people can choose um, just different price points, different numbers of bottles, whether they want to do it weekly or monthly. Uh, and then after that, we shifted into putting our cocktails, wines by the bottle, and then individual like a la carte beers as well. So people can really see a vast percentage of our selection on the website. So it's just been kind of like a, a process over these months of just building a little bit at a time. Okay, wait. So there's a weekly option. I feel like we're answers then, because <laughs> we've only done the monthly option. Yeah, we should probably. Look but you guys that do up. a you guys do a case though. Yeah. Some of the weekly options are like one bottle, three yeah. bottles. Uh, so so you know, I started with it works the, itself out. So you have different levels. You can do six bottles or you can do a case. Yeah. And at first I did six bottles, because um, I'm not that much of a wine drinker, uh, but then. I got so excited when I got the bottles 
that and we started drinking more wine mm-hmm. so i had to bump it up to 12 because six just wasn't even nearly enough but i absolutely love it it's like when we were doing hello fresh for a while you know you get that box and you i mean you know what's in it sort sometimes because sometimes yeah. you pick sometimes you don't but it's like so exciting to see what you're going to get and you do all like you do reds whites but you'll customize it for yeah so you guys are adventurous and just take mm-hmm. whatever i give you but some people have more specific tastes and we didn't want to exclude anybody so um, i always get in touch with new wine club members and ask if they want to focus on anything in particular or if there are styles that they just really don't enjoy and welcome them you know as the months go by anytime there's something you want to explore a little more feel free to send me an email like if this month you only want reds we can do that etc so i mean that way people aren't paying for things that they just aren't interested in also, I really love that um, I can email you and ask you to find stuff. And like I asked you to to find some nice champagnes for my mom's Christmas present. And so I told you how much I wanted to spend and how many bottles I wanted. And they were all perfect. Oh, and good. then I think later that week or maybe the next week, I was like, so I want some for myself, but I don't want to spend that much. So <laughs> and again, they were awesome bottles. Uh, and I spent what I wanted to spend mm. and was completely satisfied with everything. So I love that people can just reach out and say, hey, I need this. And I try to make it so it's really, you know, a lot of people aren't going out to stores as much or don't want to spend as much time talking to people in person because of COVID. So I want people to feel like they can get the same level of service by contacting me via email and doing special orders that way as they would if they came in and said, look, here's my budget. Here's what I'm looking for. Um, I, I don't want there to be any sort of difference in the experience for the mm-hmm. people that just don't want to come out in person right now. And I mean, I certainly with regards to wine, I'm always happy to find something like if, I, if, if someone wants something that I don't stock, if I'm able to get it, I'll always custom order things for people. So so back to the pivot, you I saw you you, had, you said you had the farm with the chickens. You started selling chickens in the bottle shop. Yeah, yeah. So we we have some egg laying chickens now. Um, my husband, Hermann, is the, the real farmer and he got into broiler chickens as well, which, you know, are quite labor intensive uh, to raise. Um, you raise them for a shorter period of time, but they're, you know, bred for their meat. Um, so yeah, we last year did a couple farm share dates. Um, when they were harvested, we would have people reserve the chickens in advance and come and get them. Um, our last crop was pretty large. So we've had them deep in the deep freezer over the winter. So now we just have them up on the website and people can order them anytime they want, but they're frozen. Um, come spring, we'll start with a fresh, uh, fresh flock and, and go from there and post the days when they're available to order fresh again. But That's yeah, so it's amazing. been quite the, quite the experience getting into that as and well. And you guys are doing the preparing the... Oh, no. 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 Okay. We, uh, we use King & Sons poultry processing, which is way out almost to, to, Indi- almost to the Indiana border. Okay. Um, but yeah, we, we take our hens to them live um, and they... Just they do the whole process of, of, of getting them ready, preparing yeah. them. Um, so they come fully disemboweled and wrapped in a package, just like you would get a whole chicken at the grocery store with its weight when it was processed, et cetera. So we, we decided okay. that we didn't want to go down that road. <laughs> so I'll pay someone to do that part. <laughs> I remember when I saw that, I was like, what will she think of next? That woman, she can do everything. <laughs> So the other thing that you do is to go cocktails, obviously, because you're a cocktail bar. Yes. Um, 
So what I love about your to-go cocktail program is that you have everything up on your website so I can look at the menu, decide what I want, and then go and get it. I just go to the back of the store, open the freezer. Yes. They're all labeled, easy to grab, and they come in these nice little pouches. Um, So then people don't have to spend a lot of time in your store. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, anyone who wants to do a little research ahead of time, you know, you can order the cocktails online. We sell them when you order online. We do two cocktails per package with a ramen because that was initially the liquor control specifications was two drinks per meal. Um, And then even when they upped that, we didn't want to make it three just because that was a bit too much of a commitment. So Mm -hmm. um, people can order them online that way through the website. But we also post the entire grab and go menu. Depending upon how much inventory we have in stock, we don't always put every single cocktail to order on the website they Mm -hmm. some of them are just available in the store um so people can look ahead and get them but we wanted to have them just ready so people can come in grab them easy peasy yeah that's a great and we chose uh in our sort of packaging journey to go with these little heat sealable pouches um, that have a little spout so you just twist the lid off and and pour it right out um and part of the fun part of this process for us has been translating our recipes into this because we obviously want to make them as shelf stable as possible so we've been getting into working with more acid solutions um in place of fresh citrus not for every single cocktail but Mm -hmm. you know where it's applicable and you know deciding how much it needs to be diluted so that if someone wants to pour it over ice it's not going to be too weak but if they want to give it a quick shake they could do that too so it's been Definitely a scientific journey, but we like the little plastic pouches as opposed to bottles. Um, it's just less wasteful. They, you know, it's less plastic by weight. And as you guys know, we've always tried to be really mindful using, yeah. you know, paper and metal straws and as few single use things as possible. So, you right. know, we said if we're going to be doing these single use packages, at least we're going to try to get the ones that are the most environmentally yeah, you were definitely friendly. One of the first two or three places in the city who quickly adopted to those environmentally conscious decisions for straws and yeah whatnot so yeah well all this talk of cocktails is making me thirsty so <laughs> let's um you brought us a couple what did I you did. bring us so i brought us uh one of our bottle shop classics which is smoke and mirrors which is an old-fashioned riff um it's got michter's and old overholt rise uh laksong mm. Souchong, uh smoked tea syrup and Palo Santo bitters. Anyone who loves That's the bottle shop knows that Palo Santo is our signature scent. We burn it all the time there. Oh. So, um, and then That's we also what that scent is. Yes, <laughs> we also uh, brought a breakfast of champions, which is one of our specials right now. Uh, it's a milk punch that has a lot of ingredients. So I won't list them all off right now. But okay, we'll have you show us okay. the what we do with these uh, pouches so this uh this this prep here is going to be a lot less labor intensive than the things you see me do when you guys have come to the shop with your tour but since these are our pouch cocktails all you have to do is put your ice of choice in the glass uh open your pouch and pour it on top we've diluted them to their proper dilution to sit on ice for a bit so especially when you have beautiful carved ice like this yeah flares uh all right. Famous clear uh, ice. So I'm just opening this spout here. So you don't have to shake it or anything? Just well, with these pour- ones, you don't. Um, with some of them, you do. Like the ones that we use fresh citrus or certain ingredients, if we're making a fruit syrup or something, you'll see the ingredients kind of settle to the bottom a little bit. Um, that isn't really an issue with these uh, since this is an old-fashioned riff. And then the Breakfast of Champions is a clarified milk punch. But, you know, if you were to order a cocktail from us and it was to have some little sediment in the bottom, just give it a quick jostle before you drink it and it'll be fine. 
So here's Breakfast of Champions, which we did a blend of rums for this. It also has a little bit of Reposado tequila, Mezcal, Batavia Iraq, uh, Pernod. Um, let me see, a house-made oleo sacrum, some oolong tea, pineapple juice, lemon juice, and then we did a Captain Crunch Crunch Berries cereal milk wash yes. on it. So you'll get a little bit of that Crunch Berry aromatic <laughs> on the front. All right, which one are we gonna taste first? So I guess I might suggest starting with the milk punch. Okay. So this is one of our specials, which we've been running uh, around a 10 to a dozen specials at any given time, which will switch up every couple weeks or so. Um, and then we also have about eight classics that are always available um, so that people can get their favorites and always depend on having something that they're familiar with. <clears throat> okay, that's tasty. Back in October, we were still doing ticketed events on premise until the COVID numbers got a little too high for our liking. So one of our cocktail parties was breakfast for dinner. We did like a French toast flip and we that. did this milk punch. Um, we tweaked the recipe a little bit just to make it better for, for pouches. Um, but the response was so positive that we decided that we should bring it back as a special. So. And remind me again what's in there. Um, well, the beauty of the milk punch is all the ingredients sort of fuse, so you can't yeah. pick them out from one another. But believe it or not, there are about three different kinds of rum, um, Reposado tequila, Mezcal, Batavia Iraq, uh, and Pernod are all in there, along with pineapple juice, lemon juice, uh, oolong tea, uh, and then uh, also some, uh, some spices. There's a little bit of coriander, cinnamon, and star anise in there as well, which I forgot to so mention. The, the fruit comes through and... If I were to guess, I could guess that there was rum in there, but that would even be pushing it. I never would have guessed that there was tequila and mezcal. And rum. And rum. And so and here's a couple a, of kinds of rum. Yep. So here's the ironic thing. Uh, we had a cocktail just cool. a couple days ago I that like had a, had pineapple juice in it. And it was, I love pineapple. Cheers. But um, it was so overpowering. Like it was all I could taste. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to, I can't distinguish the pineapple in this. It's, it's really good. Milk punch is a fun technique. It sounds really gross, but it's, it just does beautiful things for the texture and flavor of the drink. So um, basically what you do is you make a punch of your choosing, whatever, um, as long as there's enough acidity in it it'll be fine um and then you pour some sort of dairy in there we just use whole milk um and basically the milk fats bind to the tannins and, and certain like tint in the in the spirits and it pulls certain flavors out um and leaves just like a more cohesive flavor profile if you will um and it also gives that really like silky texture so basically once you've done that and, and the milk curdles in there you strain it we strain it through cheesecloth and then through a coffee filter so as you can see there certainly aren't you know any chunks in no here or anything like that so, so when you say that curdled milk is involved in the process it freaks people out but you're not getting any of that in the glass right. all you're getting is the the silky texture and the sort of refined flavor i feel like milk washing just kind of marries all of the ingredients just just like you said you couldn't necessarily pick out 
mm-hmm. one from the other. That's a fun part of this. So on process. your menu, do you list that it's a milk wash or do you leave that part out? We you- do. We do. Even though there wouldn't be any allergen issues with this since mm-hmm. all the milk solids are removed, someone who is lactose intolerant mm-hmm. could drink this and it wouldn't be a problem. Okay. Um, but we still, we list it. Yeah. It's really good. It is. It's delicious. It it definitely is the breakfast of champions. (laughs) We like this packaging as well because it really doesn't impart any sort of flavor. And, you know, when you're doing a heat sealable pouch, you can really control the amount of oxygen that's left in the package. Whereas with a screw top bottle, there's, you know, it's a little harder to control that. So they they keep their freshness really well, especially ones like this that don't have fresh citrus in them. I think the the thing that... um, is most surprising is that you see this little pouch and you think, okay, it's just this carry out whatever. And then in the glass, it's this very refined, delicious, high-end craft cocktail Mm -hmm. that I was not expecting to come out of that pouch, except (laughs) I know you. So I know you're going to always do you know, yeah, they, it's cer- they certainly don't look the most refined. And like there are places in town that are doing to-go packaging that looks much better than ours does. I mean, hats off to the Oracle. Their stuff is beautiful. They're doing these little glass bottles with a little charm <laughs> hanging off of it. And I mean, no, that's but, all well and good. But <laughs> but let's go back to Dive Lounge. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's so fitting. It, it just works so perfectly because that cocktail is as good as any that, you could find anywhere. Well, it's very practical, and I find I think you're yeah. probably a very practical person, so it makes sense. So, what? Tell me, tell us about the yes. cocktail. So, too. moving on to smoke and mirrors, I really wanted to bring the milk punch just because I'm excited about it. But I know you guys are really into whiskey, so I had to bring a whiskey cocktail <laughs> for you. So, smoke and mirrors is a fun one um, that I think highlights kind of our ethos pretty well. Um, we're always we work in a really small space behind our bar and we get pretty busy for how much space we have to work with so certain techniques have proven themselves over time to be more trouble than they're worth and smoking cocktails to order kind of proved to be one of those you get a smoking gun it clogs up during service or the battery Mm -hmm. dies or you know you have to clear your whole bar area in order to do it and it just we've done some smoked cocktails in the past but it just was getting really problematic as we got busier to give the same level of service while having one of those drinks on our menu so this drink was designed with the idea of making a smoked cocktail that would be consistent because also when you smoke to order it's really hard to keep the amount of smoke that you're getting into the drink Mm -hmm. consistent you know if you use more wood chips one time than the next or you leave the smoke in too much it can just overpower the flavor profile Mm -hmm. so the idea with this was to take Michter's rye which is my personal favorite rye I just think it's gingerbready and delicious Mm. and I've had more expensive ryes than it many times and I still like it the best Um, so when this was on our menu it was Michter's rye Um, we did a lapsong souchong syrup which is a smoked black tea so you're getting some smoke from the tea as well as the oh, kind of dry okay. finish. Um, and then it has Palo Santo bitters, like I said, which is a type of like wood that you burn as, as incense. So that kind of has a smokiness to it as well. Um, so we formulated this so that every single time you try, try that drink, it's going to have the same amount of smoke. And, you know, I really think it does taste like it got smoked mm-hmm. without actually having been smoked. But not too much But smoke. lightly, which I yeah. really appreciate yeah. because I don't like over-smoked cocktails yeah exactly it just it kills especially when you're using a nice spirit base i mean it just yeah. it just kills it so the one change we made from this um was we did split the base between mictors and old overholt to go into the pouches just because our pouches hold about five and a half ounces and you know it's a, a double serving and if we were to have used mictors for the whole thing the price point just would have been kind of 
excessive. So sure. we didn't really want to be charging like 18 or $20 for one of these pouches. So we split the base for the sake of to go. Um, but I think it, the, the Mictors still definitely holds its own. So let me ask you this, you, since you brought up price of cocktails, um, I think it's my personal opinion that, um, that we should pay more for cocktails and that way you have better margins and, you know, that makes your life better. And I feel like the pandemic is a perfect time to reset and raise prices so that people, once they get back to the bars, they're eager and they're willing to pay that amount. And then they're just used to it. I mean, I remember people used to complain about paying $14 for a cheeseburger, but now nobody cares if you pay yeah. that much for a delicious cheeseburger. So have you given any thought to raising your prices when you open back up? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. We, I guess, I guess, yes, we, we won't mind taking things a little higher when we reopen just because our capacity is more limited too. So, hmm. Let me think that well, over. I might have to have you like edit this answer a little bit. <laughs> but we, we want our cocktails to be accessible as yeah. well. So sure. I've, I'm always trying to, to balance out having them at a price where people can enjoy them with having them at a price which is sustainable for the business. Yeah. And certainly, you know, what a lot of people don't see is the amount of labor that goes into these cocktails. You right. know, we, we, we freeze our own blocks of ice and carve them. Um, so, you know, whether you break it down by my labor that I'm paying for carved ice, or if I have to outsource carved ice, say from, from Travis, you know, mm -hmm. when I get into a bind and have to buy a block, whether I do it myself or order it from him, it's working out to about 75 cents to a dollar per cube. So whenever you're getting a cocktail on the rocks, you're talking about 75 cents to a dollar just for the ice. Not to mention the fact that we do, you know, all of our own, our own infusions, fresh juices, we make spirits, you know, or mm -hmm. liqueurs rather. Um, so all of that goes into the glass and all of that costs money and takes time. So right. yes, I agree with you that people should understand that if you're getting a certain caliber of product, it's right. not just what's in the glass, it's the time and the, the labor right. that went into that. Um, that being said, I do take issue with some of the prices people charge for cocktails, especially with the base spirits that they're using. Um, if we're using a less expensive base spirit, we we knock a couple bucks off the drink. Sure, so. sure. I, I, mean, I think that things were a little out of control as well, even before the pandemic, like I see some people's cocktail menus and I just, I think it's taking advantage a little bit. I think we've, we've historically come in a couple bucks below a lot of places, um, when we can, I just think it's important that it be accessible as well. So mm -hmm. yes, I, I, you know, I, I agree with you that people should support, but I also think that it should be accessible. Yeah. So that's fair. Yeah, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. Um, have you ever considered, creating or making and bottling your own cordials to sell in your bottle shop? Yeah, Hermann wants, Hermann has wanted us to do packaged cocktails for a while, um, but uh, we just haven't gotten there yet. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a little intimidating for me, I guess. So I, would you, would you bottle, make and bottle your cream de menthe to sell at your bottle shop? I guess we could. It just seems like a bit of a mission. And, you know, what we're short on is space, like prep space and storage mm -hmm. space. So to look at going into something like that would just mean looking at getting an additional production facility, getting yeah. that licensed. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot 
to yeah. take on. So I haven't gone down that road just because with the space that we have where we're located, it couldn't really be a production facility. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it would just be quite a leap, mm-hmm. which, you know, maybe one day. Uh, well, let me know because I would invest in that. <laughs> All right. And there Good is there is the farm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So many things. It's just amazing. Everything that you do is just... Uh, it's just amazing. It's it's such a fun, fun place. And so you guys have have stayed open. Well, you closed down for a little bit. Yeah. But- so when in March we shut down completely, um, we we decided to renovate the interior of our space a little bit. We desperately needed to fix the floors. We had had the same floors since we opened, and they were just atrocious. And it was just getting to the point where it couldn't get put off any longer. So we said, okay, this is a way that we can help keep people on payroll, you know, help us out changing these floors, do a little work with us and do deliveries, et cetera. So we were completely shut down for a while. And then we reopened uh, in the middle of June. The numbers were such that we felt like we would open for limited service. And we tried a few different things, but ended up closing right after the 4th of July, just because we felt like we weren't getting the respect that we deserved from patrons, not really our regulars, but, there was definitely a contingent of people that we had never seen in the bar before that were coming in and refusing to, to wear a mask and being rude. And, oh, no. And, I mean, I just looked at it like I'm if, if you can't play nice, I'm going to take yeah. away your toy. And right. if, if you're not going to respect my staff and you're not going to respect our health and the fact that we're coming here and putting ourselves in danger to serve you a drink, right. then we're just not going to be open. And right. so that's what we decided. And we shut the bar back down for a while and then we started doing ticketed events only which helped with that problem um we did we were doing a cocktail party and a wine tasting every single week and people had to buy the tickets in advance um and it was from a set time so we would say okay you're going to be here from four to six and we felt that putting a time limit and things like that would help us control it and the kind of person who's going to go online and buy a ticket to an event probably isn't the kind of person that's going to show up and be belligerent about the fact Mm -hmm. that we're asking them to wear a mask and that did work out um but we we stopped doing that around thanksgiving uh when the weather turned just because we were looking at case numbers and saying we just aren't willing to have people sit inside so once it once it became uncomfortable for people to sit outside we just said no more for the time being so i love ticketed events like that i hope it doesn't stop after the pandemic because i enjoy like buying a ticket having a set time Mm -hmm. and then like getting whatever cocktail like i i just love for somebody to i guess choose my experience for me curating it and maybe and that's kind of why we do the cocktail tour but i love that experience when we did that at your place it was so much fun Mm -hmm. And we we scheduled our time. We got there. We felt very safe. It was just a, a really fun experience. I really enjoyed it. It's something we'll definitely keep doing. And I mean, that's the beauty of having this website now is that we can keep doing events and have online ticketing, which is something that before the pandemic we... We're just not built for it. You wouldn't have even thought of it, though. Yeah, I mean, I was. We didn't. We never had a website because I just didn't want to pay someone to do it. We have our social media, and I didn't know how to do it, and was kind of intimidated to try. And then, you know, this forced me to do it, and it it really was kind of a silver lining because it's it's a great thing to have, and Mm -hmm. it's definitely going to change the way we do things in the future. I mean, we're going to keep doing deliveries and curbside pickup orders even when things are back to whatever quote unquote normal. Yeah. Because why not? I mean, we'll just cut down. We'll just cut down the number of days that we deliver. Because right now we're delivering six days a week, every day but Sunday. 
But when things get back to normal, I mean, there's nothing saying we can't still do Tuesday and Friday deliveries. Why right. not? So, right. And the, so and there are plenty of people like us who are happy to pick up our case of wine yeah. and a couple of cocktails to go. Yeah, but maybe you're in a hurry or you just want to be able to get in, get out. So yeah. we're ahead of time or call ahead and order and just swing by and pick exactly. it up. Well, so. it's nice too, because like when we were, we were out of sweet vermouth when we picked up our wine the last time. So we just grabbed a bottle yeah. of, you have a nice variety of <laughs> yes. those things. So thank God for that. It's just super convenient. Yeah. Cause we I hate to run vermouth. out of it's vermouth. A, it's a party. So you run out of vermouth. <laughs> That's right. I love vermouth and sherry. So. Me too. <laughs> Me too. All right. So tell what do you think about this cocktail? This other cocktail. You didn't I love talk it. About it. I love it. So it's it's a really nice kind of spin on an old fashioned, um, just very very straightforward, deliberate. I like it. And this is a good example. I mean, the milk punch, you know, has like fifteen ingredients, but this has three ingredients. Yeah, this is it, well four if you count the split base. And I really, I feel like if you can make a good cocktail with three or four ingredients, that's yeah. that's what sets real real bartenders apart. Let's say because <laughs> you know a lot of people can make something taste good when you have ten different ingredients and four different types of fruit juice in it. But you know, to make something that tastes good and balanced with three or four ingredients, I think is the real talent. Why use tea in cocktails? Well, tea you can use in so many different ways and you can put so much flavor in. So you can make a tea and use it to lengthen your cocktail. Like if you're making a punch and you need it to be less boozy, you can use that as your water component. Or you can infuse spirits directly with tea, which we do quite often. Um, Or you can make a syrup. So, you know, in the case of smoke and mirrors, we're making a syrup. In the case of the milk punch, we use the tea as the lengthening. So rather than diluting it with water, we diluted it with the oolong tea. And... You can just get so many complex aromatics. I mean, especially when you're infusing a, a spirit directly or, or doing a syrup, you're never heating it up to the point where it's going to get bitter, but you're still extracting all those flavors. So, I mean, one of my favorite cocktails that we do um, is the Caribbean Queen. That's one of the recipes that I'm most proud of. It's got um, rum, rum zacapa, uh, Oloroso sherry, and then I do an Earl Grey infusion on um, Taylor's Velvet Falernum. Um, and that's in there as nice. well with a little bit of citrus and orgeat uh, and Angostura bitters. And it's just like a savory tart. I mean, that, that that cocktail just has, it hits on like all cylinders, all sorts of flavors. And, you know, getting that like bergamot, Earl Grey complexity in there with the falernum, it just really makes it for me. And I feel like you can be really precise with how much of the flavor you get in with tea. Um, it's just, it's really versatile. Where do you get your tea? Like, do you go to Kroger or what, what do you do? It depends. Our Lopsong and Earl Grey are from Harney and Sons. Uh, they do a really great job. I actually discovered Harney and Sons dining at Harvest um, here in Columbus. Uh, I, I wasn't drinking and it was winter a couple years back. And I, I ordered a cup of the green tea that they had at Harvest. And it was one of the best green teas I've ever had. And I asked them what the brand was and they said Harney and Sons. So now whenever I can get Harney and Sons, I get Harney and Sons. But um, depending, sometimes we get our teas from Suraga. Sometimes we get them from Giant Eagle. It, it really just depends on the, the version we're using. Um, chamomile, I just buy dried flowers in bulk. So I would love that. Um breakfast of champions with some egg white on top too that would be pretty Oof, tasty. yeah i love it that would yeah. be really tasty but i like this whiskey one too i think i like i think i like the breakfast of champions the best even though i'm a whiskey girl but i that's that's a it's a really, really good cocktail. easy drinking yeah. thank you for bringing it oh my pleasure <laughs> i'm glad so you guys great. like that <laughs> 
All right. Do you have any stories you want to share with us from the bar? If you don't, that's perfectly all right. We or or from to... a bar across the world in Australia. Or I don't really know. That's the one thing that's stumping me is like the salacious bar story. Who'd you have to kick out? Oh, well, I guess that's a bit of a story. So when we took over the bottle shop, the, the previous owners were a couple of Turkish gentlemen um, who basically did whatever they wanted with the place. We heard crazy stories about them pouring beers for people and then leaving them alone in the bar and people would just refill their beers all day. If someone wanted a drink, they would let them come behind the bar and make their own drink. Just just absolutely. <laughs> oh my God. Absolutely crazy, crazy Sounds stories. like a terrible business model. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they had going on in there, but yeah. It was... <laughs> that, that probably explains why my underage teen, at the time, teenage children were able to go in there. Oh yeah, they didn't care about anything. And I had, when we took Shit. that place over, they, it was the two owners. The one worked all day in the market. The other one worked at night in the bar. And then they hired a Pakistani gentleman under the table who they paid only cash who worked the market every single night. And he would bring the samosas that his wife made and sell them under the counter for a dollar. <laughs> so after we took well, over- Well, that sounds nice, actually. The for, for like three years, all we ever heard about the Viking, which is what it was called before we took over, was, oh, the samosas were amazing. Those samosas were amazing. And oh, this was always my place to come when I was underage because they just did not care about anything. So it was kind of interesting for the first couple of years to field people who would come and, you know, remember it from that time and see that it was not the same anymore. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So another question. Um, will you ever do a wine tasting, like a ticketed event wine tasting to walk people through? Like, I know you do, like people can buy Italian wines or French wines. You did that whole like. Um, yeah, like the curated boxes. Yeah, yeah. Would you ever do um, a tasting like that? Well, most of our tastings are like that um, in the sense that they have some overarching theme. I mean, we did like a best of summer tasting, which is just kind of things we liked. But aside from that, um, all of our tastings had a more specific theme. Like we did an Eastern European wine tasting, wines of France, oh, that's natural right. California wines. Uh, yeah, we always try to keep it somewhat focused. And then every every once in a while, we'll do one that's kind of a wild card. Like, here, come join us. We're going to taste six different wines that we just think are awesome that have nothing to do with each other. But <laughs> usually usually we keep it a little more thematic so people that want to learn that? more. I don't know how I miss those. Well, we weren't doing them for that long, to be fair. We, we had a couple months there and then... Okay, we well, you off, need to start so. that up and I'll come. Um, as soon as the weather gets it. nice, I mean, as soon as we have our patio back, we'll be back to doing at least events. And then as soon as we can get our staff all vaccinated, we'll open again. But That would be yeah. really, really fun. So tell our listeners where they can find you and what your hours are. Yes, so we are located at 237 King Avenue. Uh, we are currently only doing deliveries on Monday. So if you would like a delivery on Monday, order it by 2 p.m. online for same-day delivery. Otherwise, we're open at the shop uh, Tuesday through Thursday from noon until 9 p.m. and then Friday and Saturday uh, until 10 p.m. We're currently closed on Sundays and Mondays, uh, though we will reopen Mondays again once we're able to get the bar going. Uh, and then our website is uh, bottleshopcolumbus.com. And you can find us as The Bottle Shop Columbus on Facebook and Instagram as well. And then what radius do you deliver to? So we're pretty liberal with it. We say Columbus metro area, but we've gone to Dublin, New Albany, Gahanna, Reynoldsburg, Grove City, Hilliard. So we'll, we'll go pretty far. I haven't, I haven't agreed to Delaware just yet, <laughs> but if you're within the metro area, chances are we'll bring it to you. Well, Barbara, we're so grateful that you had the time to meet with us tonight, be on our podcast as we said before, we've been hoping to get you for a long time. So 
all the best in the future, yeah. whatever we're, we're you so do. We're so happy that things are going well and we wish you the best that they continue and your business continues to grow because we need it to stay in this town. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. Cheers. 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 Listeners, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Seabus Craft Cocktail Tour. And visit our website at columbuscraftcocktailtour.com for cocktail tour dates, women and whiskey tastings, and other events and merchandise. Thanks to our producer, Greg Hansberry, and to the biographer for our original music. Please remember to drink responsibly, tip appropriately, and be cocktail curious. Cheers! This has been a Last Call Productions production.